This episode of Brand Growth Heroes is supported by Strong Roots. Strong Roots believes food can be better for you and for the planet. Their end goal? To fix the freezer aisle for good. I love Strong Roots for so many reasons, but particularly because their exciting product innovation and inspired branding has revolutionised freezer aisles across the globe in only six years. So this season, with Strong Roots support, Brand Growth Heroes will continue to champion the founders of insurgent brands on their own scale-up journey. Strong Roots is sponsoring two founders on our business accelerator, the Growth Strategy Programme. To apply to win your place, follow Brand Growth Heroes on Instagram, where you'll find a link to the application form in our bio. Thanks again to Strong Roots, simple, real food. Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. Wild Deodorant is the sustainable, natural deodorant that smells good and looks great, delivered right to your door. Launched by childhood friends Freddie Ward and Charlie Bowes Lines 18 months ago, they've since sold 20 million quids worth of deodorant. How do you make that happen? Listen to this masterclass in D2C business with Freddie Ward coming right up. Freddie Ward from Wild Deodorant, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. How are you doing today? Very well. Thank you very much for having me on, Fiona. That's absolute pleasure. I can't wait to interview today and find out how you have driven this incredible brand to tens of millions of pounds worth of sales. Yes. Yep. That's right. Unbelievable. And when did you launch? We launched uh, in 2019. So 2019, we're now 2022 and UK shoppers are buying tens of millions of pounds worth of wild deodorant. Probably the fastest growth of any of the Brand Growth Heroes brands we've had on so far. So first of all, well done. Unbelievable. You are going to be a massive hero to everybody who's listening to this. Let's go back a little bit just to understand. You have quite an enviable career path for any of us listening who say that we have an omni-channel business. You've already been in an omni-channel business, quite a famous one, haven't you, before you launched Wild. So what was that part of your career and how did you then decide to take the jump and start a deodorant business? Good question to, to, to start with. So yeah, as you said, my, I started my career at a company called HelloFresh, delivers uh, recipes and ingredients for people to cook at home. Joined there when we were a team of five in the UK, I think sending out about 30, 40 boxes um, a week. And then we scaled that over the, the next six years um, up to kind of 100 million revenue business, sending out, you know, 60, 70,000 boxes every week and, you know, learn a huge amount along that journey, um, a, a lot through a lot of mistakes. Um, but, you know, incredibly uh, fun journey, lots of kind of learning curves and a very competitive market. So you really had to be on on top of your game to keep driving the growth and potential of, of that. I, I absolutely love my time, learned so much from that experience and, you know, just look, look back on it with a huge amount of fondness. And, and towards the end of my time there, you know, the business IPO'd and it just came to a natural time where, you know, it was time for new people to come in with new energy and new ideas. And I really wanted to take what I'd learned and what we kind of built and try building my own business. And at the same time, my co-founder, um, Charlie, had been running a little side hustle, a little reusable coffee cup business um, from his um, sitting room. 
And I go around every weekend and he was really starting to spend all his weekends packing up these um, coffee cups and, and kind of sending them out. And I said, well, you know, I, I'm looking at some business ideas and I think sustainability is going to be a really interesting space. And, and, and it's great that this coffee cup business is doing so well. But the problem with reusable coffee cups is we we're about five years too late, I think, to be a kind of meaningful player. But I think we looked at companies like Chili's Bottles, for example, which I think was the fastest growing company in the UK three years in a row. And if you think about water, it, it makes a lot of sense that people were getting rid of plastic and using reusable, um, well-designed metal bottles for their, for, for their kind of water. And we started to think, well, if, if we're doing that for certain products, why, um, why are we not doing that for, for more products? And in particular, look at how much plastic we've got in the bathroom. And surely there's a better model where we can create permanent holders that people can keep in their bathroom and then create um, innovative refillable products um, that allow us to kind of minimize our, our wastage um, and also remove any kind of unnecessary chemical ingredients. So really focus on high-performing natural natural formulas. And we started with deodorant because we had seen the growth of natural deodorants in the US market. So we knew that these products were getting better and better, um, but no one was really doing that in Europe. And we really felt if you, someone can trust you with how they smell and you can deliver a great product and a great customer experience for that, then you know over time that's going to build trust and allow you to build out your product portfolio as you, um, as you kind of grow. So that's, that's where we, where we sort of got to on, on the start of our journey and Wild's mission to be clear is to remove single use plastic and any unnecessary ingredients from your everyday personal care routines. And we really believe in creating high performing, easy to use and, you know, easy to dispose of products, um, for people. Okay, wow. So I have got a zillion questions, but I can't ask you all of those today on this episode, unfortunately. But the first one I would have is, so who were you targeting when you decided to launch into this market? Were you the first refillable deodorant? Who were you targeting? And what was the friction that they were feeling that you were going to solve for them? Yeah, so I I suppose originally we launched with a non-refillable deodorant. So we just wanted to test out the market and see that there was demand for natural deos. Um, So we kind of launched, we set up a little Shopify site, managed to procure some uh, natural deos and just got ourselves up and running and, and figured out that there was demand in the market. For what? For natural deodorants? Natural deodorants, yeah. Okay, so they weren't refillable or sustainable really? Refillable or, or, or sustainable, but they were the natural deodorants. Um, and, and again, what we wanted to do, you know, if you're going to start a business, you're looking at something where you're going to be putting five, 10 years of your life. And, and, and you're probably, you know, if you're lucky to, to raise some money or, or using your own capital. And um, so you want to be sure that it's, it's a, the idea has got the potential to be, um, to be good. So, so we started by, by launching this basic site, basic product. And, you know, we learned that um, there was definitely demand for natural deodorant that wasn't being catered for in, 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 in the UK and that we needed to get a lot better at how we make and create natural DOs. What do you mean by that? So our, our initial product um, was not very well reviewed from a wide variety of, of, of kind of sources. So whilst people wanted it, um, they weren't coming back. But we knew we could fix that. So we weren't 
you know, whilst it was frustrating and, and you always want to get your product right, it was more important for us that we could prove out that, that there was demand. And we, you know, one of the great advantages of being a direct consumer business is you get loads of feedback. So even if that's negative feedback, you can really use that to understand, okay, how do we then make a product that people actually kind of want? So that's why I'm a, I'm a big believer in trying to launch things online, trying to have that direct relationship, even if it's a minimum viable product or, or basic product. And you learn, you learn so much from that. You learn, you know, who your customers are, what they, you know, what they want, what they don't want, what they're happy with, what they're not happy with. And from that kind of, you know, starting fire, you can start to think, okay, well, we've now got some really clear guidelines of what we need to improve on and what we need to work on. And the main things were, look, this is, you know, we don't want plastic. Um, we want a deodorant that, that kind of works better and we want some nicer um fragrances i think some people said the first fragrance made them smell like a roast chicken which wasn't really <laughs> we were, um wasn't really what we were aiming for so oh, funny so that kind of gave us a really clear set of guidelines of, of what to go and work on and um, so we actually, we actually closed that down and then just put all our energy into this refillable do and and i think we were the world's first refillable deodorant that completely removed plastic from the refills and so we had Bamboo pulp and sugarcane are our refills are made of 100% biodegradable and um, just really easy to kind of dispose of, whether that's at home or um, kind of in the waste system. And and that that kind of simplicity was was really important for how we thought about um, the product and the brand. How did you go about designing that product? I mean, you must have had to go out to the world searching for great industrial designers in this space or co-manufacturers. So how does that work? Yeah, so we were really lucky to be connected with a design agency called Marama, who are a very young um, industrial design agency who specialise in kind of working with startups. Um, again, they were they were sort of a, a early on in their journey, but they had some some really beautiful design, and and we came to them with quite a specific vision. We said, look, we want the holder to be made out of aluminium because we want it to be permanent and last for a long time and to feel feel like something that's not disposable and then we want the refill to be completely the opposite something that you know can can be thrown away and isn't going to end up in the ocean or you know end up in landfills so um it was quite a quite a tough brief um and they really took that challenge on and um and helped went went on that journey with wad and, and it took us a long time it took us about nine months to to get it to market and there were lots of moments where we thought oh maybe we won't make it or maybe this isn't going to going to quite happen but again what was important in that is that we already had the validation so we already you know you have to spend quite a lot if you're going to tool up and design your own packaging and i think you're much better to to validate with something simpler to begin with and then kind of gear up to the next phase which is how we structured it and just for anyone listening who doesn't know what tooling up means it basically means either making or buying parts for machines that are going to make your packaging or product specific to the design that the designer's done on paper. So in terms of shape and material and all that, doesn't it? Yeah. So you need a tool if you're going to do something bespoke and that adds cost, but in the long term, it also brings um, defensibility and originality. So you have to kind of weigh those, weigh those two things up and um, figure out when the right time to, to do that is. So you have this great product concept and brand concept, I imagine, at this stage too. And you have decided to invest in bespoke tooling so that you've got a bespoke pack. 
And then did you launch it in the same way that you launched the original business or did you launch it in a different way in terms of your online launch? So I suppose the, the great thing about our, our product by the time we designed it is that it, it, it really it looked beautiful and, and it really delivered that kind of branding experience we were sort of hoping for. So the aim much less was about talking about the benefits and things and just letting the product kind of sell itself almost. Um, so really focusing on the photography and the creative and the content. It's very much a kind of a lifestyle Instagrammable brand, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's really how we thought, you know, we thought about every step of that journey. We were thinking, how are we going to get people to share and engage with this and, you know, want to connect with the, with the product. But deodorant is very personal for some people. I mean, I imagine there'll be some people listening to this that go, deodorant's just deodorant. But I think for a certain section of the population, you know, the deodorant that you choose says something about who you are from a very young age, you know, buying your first deodorant or stealing your mum's or stealing your dad's. It's a bit of a rite of passage for some people and all the way through your life in your bathroom, it can be something very rational and just functional, or it can be a part of your beauty regime and a part of how you express yourself through what you put in your body, right? Yeah. And, and again, what you see over the last few years is that beauty and personal care have become increasingly, you know, blurred lines between them. And I think, you know, it's, it, the great thing about deodorant from a brand perspective is it's something you most people apply every single day of their life from the age of, you know, 16 kind of onwards. Um, so it's kind of very high usage, high impact product. And, and I think particularly for women, you know, that kind of area is, is quite sensitive and um, they're just kind of aware of um, what products they're using and, uh, and, and what impacts they're having. And, and I think, you know, natural works, it's kind of why, why wouldn't you kind of use natural um, ingredients? And then, you know, for us, that, that refillable nature just makes you feel good about, you know, you wake up in the morning, you feel, you know what, I'm doing something very small in a small way. I'm kind of changing, changing my habits. And, and often we see that Wild is just one of the products and brands they buy as they kind of look across their household and are looking to just make simple kind of sustainable swaps without, without compromise. And that's exactly where we want to position ourselves. Going back to how you launched, did you do a brave launch or did you do a softly, gently launch? You'd invested a lot of money in this new product. What did you do next? We did a pre-launch before the product was brought to market the, the kind of month before. And we wanted to, again, get it out there, um, understand the demand and and see how things went. And, and again, our strategy was really let's get this product into as many people's hands as possible and get them talking about it and create some kind of buzz. So really what we would call a kind of micro influencer strategy. And this, you know, this worked really, really well for us. So we, we weren't kind of spending huge amounts of money straight out the gate on kind of expensive advertising. We were testing on our core advertising channels and, and we had a good idea and good instinct from our previous careers on what may or may not work. And then we were trying to build up the interest and hype through yeah, a wide range of kind of micro, micro influencers as we, as we grew. And at this point, are you looking at data very carefully based on your experience in your previous careers? Or are you just saying, yeah, you know, overall, there's a positive feel out there? <laughs> no, no, no. We, we're very, very sales focused. So we're, we're, we're looking at like, how much money did we spend yesterday and, and how many sales did we get and how scalable 
is that for, uh, you know, could, could we be spending more, you know, asking ourselves every day, could we be spending more? What's working? What's not? How do we optimize that to start to, to grow and kind of build up? And, and actually in those early days, the biggest problem was, um, it, it w- was getting enough product um, because you're kind of, once it starts to fly, you're, you're, you're sort of trying to ride that initial excitement and interest and um and and for us probably operations were was more of a challenge than than the marketing side but people are seeing this i presume the very early days from the pre-launch they're seeing it mainly on instagram are they or is it also in the press primarily i mean the press don't really want to talk about deodorant um, you know ultimately getting pr for us has been is, is a bit of a challenge and you know, I, I'm a little bit of a PR, bit skeptical on PR from a D2C perspective. So, you know, certainly more digital, digital focus is kind of where we, where we would land. People who influence them online, you're not doing a huge amount of advertising and they're coming to your site and they are pre-ordering at this point, is it? Pre-ordering, yeah. yeah. Okay. And at that point, and even in your early days when you're selling and you said just there that you're looking at what you spent yesterday and what the sales were, even if you spend a thousand quid yesterday and you get a certain amount of sales yesterday, you know that some of that thousand quid you spent yesterday is going to bring you sales in the coming weeks or months. How do you work out then if you should up your spend today and tomorrow? Because you haven't necessarily eked all the value out of yesterday's spend yet. So the best case scenario is that you, the future benefit of that spend is purely upside and you're um, in a position where you're very comfortable, even if you bought in no more sales, that that is providing a good return on investment, which would be, you know, kind of profitable on, on, on first order at that, at at that stage. So you're not making decisions on how much you spend today or tomorrow based on lifetime value then really, are you? You're doing it on immediate return. Not to begin with. Not to begin with. You know, again, it's very hard. you're purely hypothesizing about um, lifetime value in those first few months because you haven't seen any customer behavior. You don't know if people are going to come back, when they're going to come back, what they're going to do. So ideally, to begin with, um, if if you want to grow fast, then you're basically getting that return instantly and you're pumping money, you're getting back in. And then as you start to mature, what you see is that typically these digital channels are quite cheap when you find that like those first hero customers, what we call those early adopters. And there's kind of this, there's a lot of viral effects and there's a lot of pent up demand if you've got your kind of product and positioning right. So that those first few months are, are great months because they're, they're wonderful customers as well. They're just, they're lovely. They want you to win. Uh, they, they, they give you positive feedback and, you know, they, they're, they're very understanding if you kind of make mistakes or you deliver late or, you know, they're on your team, right? Yeah, they're, they're like they're, they they like that they're buying an early stage startup company and they buy into that. And you know, those are the best customers you're ever going to bring in, and you really need to look after them and nurture them. So that you know, we were very lucky to have that in the early phases, and then as the business began to mature a bit and grow faster, and we started to see the numbers, we could start to say, okay, we can begin to spend a bit more on these customers because we know that they're not just buying once with us. You know, actually. Um, 80% of them are coming back and buying again. Um, so that gives us, you know, some really good numbers and confidence that, you know, they're going to be worth a lot more to us. And, and as I said, with deodorant, it's one of those products where if it works for you and you find a brand you like, um, you tend to, to kind of stick with it for a long period of time. So, 
you know, it works. You, you can start to really grow in, in confidence. Okay. So then you're saying the people who we answer a real friction for and who have kind of fallen in love with our proposition, we know how to get them or we can hypothesize how we're going to get them to continue repeat purchasing their refills. But we also know who they are in terms of finding more people just like them. Exactly. Exactly. So we look, we look a lot of those, you know, we're on the phone, we're calling up these customers, we're surveying them, we're, um, you know, we're writing them letters. It's incredibly personable and, and, and really the job for, um, for, for us as founders was like being really hands on with that. Like you're doing customer service, you're, you're kind of looking at all these different touch points. And from that, you get the feel, you get, you're like, who are these customers? What do they care about? And, and then how do we start to, find more of them and build the brand around that core core customer group. Do you know something? I have never heard a founder speak about calling up customers like that before. And it's one of the things that on the growth strategy program, the accelerator program that I run for CPG brands, one of the things that I make everybody do is to call 10 customers every week for the six weeks and talk to them about why they buy the product and why they continue to buy the product. But not even that, because that's something I think that we all do. I think the big thing is, is how they use it, where they store it. I can imagine with deodorant, is it pride of place on the top of the cabinet? And if you said to them, well, actually, you know, what did you do before? Well, my deodorant used to be inside my zippy toilet bag, but now it's on the cabinet beside the toothpaste. It's all those little things that help you realise when you're redoing your packaging or whatever it is. And you're the first founder, besides actually James Averdeek, who was kind of one of my mentors, my boss at Goo all those years ago, he was always talking to customers whenever anyone had a problem or anybody really liked it, he'd ring them up and talk to them. So you actually take the time to ring these people. And how do you do that out of the blue? I think it's just, um, obviously, you, you get a certain number of numbers and you just get calling them and you say, look, hi, it's Freddie calling from Wild. And um, you know, you left this great feedback or you had this like problem. And I just wanted to kind of A, let you know that we care about that and B, just kind of wondered if you have five, 10 minutes to talk that through and tell me more. And and from there, you start to build that understanding, that um, that view on who that customer is and 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 you learn a lot from from those experiences. So I'm a big, yeah, big, big belief. I, I think but an early stage founder, it's very little about strategy. It, it, it's all about understanding who your customer is and making everything you do more tailored towards them. But that is strategy, Freddie. I have to stop you there because my whole business is based on strategy for early stage founders. <laughs> that is strategy, you know, understanding who you're targeting, what the friction is. Not too much long, like long, long term. Long term strategy. Yes. You're in that short term strategy that is that is coming from your customers. It's about where to play and how to win. Exactly. And 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 you I think one of the things I find is that often companies feel the founders feel like they know. They're like, I know what my customers want and I'm I like I I'm so passionate about this. I'm gonna create the brand that I want to create. And uh, I have a different view where I'm like you know, I, I want my customers to help me create the brand that they they want, and I'm always using them as much as possible to drive decision making as I am my own gut and, and and kind of instinct. That's fabulous. Just on that, then, which of the benefits that Wild offers are the most important to the big portion of your customers, and is it what you originally imagined? 
Um, it's not a million miles away from what we originally imagined. I think obviously sustainability was going to be important to people and they, they care about that and they, they care about the simplicity of, of, of that. And then, you know, the major challenge for natural deodorants is people are like, it doesn't work. So, you know, and, and, or, you know, they get it. And, and sometimes there's a little transition period. It can be a week where, you know, it, it, it takes a bit of time to, to, to get up and running. So what we've got to try and do in all of our communications is give people the confidence to try it out and then tell them to, you know, just give it a week. Keep at it. Yeah. Just to, um, to let it get, let it start to work. And then, then, then you're kind of away. So really, and, and, and then also, you know, when you look at product development, it was like, we just spend a huge amount of time always thinking, even now, you know, I think we're on our 10th iteration of the deodorant and we're, we're still trying to get better and better and better. And that's like a never ending journey because every time we make it 1%, 2%, you know, more effective for a wider group of people, then we're going to build the brand to be much, uh, much bigger. And we, we build that kind of trust. If you're the smart founder of a scaling grocery brand and you're inspired by what you learn on Brand Growth Heroes, why not check out our online business accelerator for founders who want to take their growth to the next level? The Growth Strategy Program is a six-week online learning course which offers a suite of bespoke lessons, tools, one-to-one coaching, group workshops, and access to a growing network of support from smart founders of grocery brands just like you. You can find out more by going to fionafitzconsulting.com and then clicking online courses. Then just press register your interest today. Strong Roots is sponsoring two founders on our business accelerator, the Growth Strategy Program. To apply to win your place, follow Brand Growth Heroes on Instagram, where you'll find a link to the application form in our bio. Thanks again to Strong Roots, simple, real food. So how important is the look of the product? Because for those of you who haven't yet Googled Wild as we're speaking, I mean, it's just beautiful looking packaging and product. I got a little patch, but there you go. So we've got the light on it. So there we go. Beautiful. So that's a green one. And you get to choose your own cover and then you buy the refills, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the the refills just pop in. I'm just going to do that for you. Pop in. We should have done this right at the beginning. Sorry, everyone. So, Freddie, for those of you who are not watching on YouTube, Freddie's holding up, um, is that a metal? Metal case, yeah. Beautiful metal case. It's like a flat stick deodorant. It's really kind of rounded edges, really sleek. And then it's got a little cartridge almost refill that goes in that doesn't have any plastic at all, right? Yeah, exactly. So how much would that set me back now if I was going to go and buy that online? So we have a the um, starter pack is £12 and that gets you the case and the refill. And then the refills are £5 from, from, from kind of then on, basically. And how long will the refill last me? We see about six, six, seven weeks for, for a refill. So, and we send three at a time. So typically, you know, five months for, for three deodorants is roughly what we, what we would recommend. Right. The mass market then is spending, you know, $1.99 on a deodorant or 99p in, for a private label deodorant. How do you scale the business to get a slice of the mass market? So I think it's about... You know, we're definitely more expensive than a a, a basic deodorant, um, but we're within we're you know five pounds. I think um, once every six eight weeks. Um, you know, it's it's not a massive cost when you when you think about it. And I think it's also the mentality of you know lots of people are swapping out Coca Cola for a slightly more expensive you know sparkling water. 
and there are lots of like premium or semi-premium sparkling water brands um, that are huge and huge in the world. And, and it's the same for kind of deodorants, really. It's like, hey, why don't you just um, make this trade, trade up um, to a product that's more natural, more sustainable, and it's got a more kind of premium fragrance, um, you know, essential oil fragrances that, that, that kind of add to that um, experience. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's funny, isn't it? I spoke about this with uh, Amy and Jeff Webster from, Amy Mooring and Jeff Webster from Hunter and Gather a couple of weeks ago. They've got products that are also more expensive than what would have originally have been kind of traditional alternatives, say for a mayonnaise. They're not really an alternative to traditional mayonnaise. But the thing is, is it's all about the frame, isn't it? If you, as a consumer or a shopper, imagine that it's Wild or Mitchum or Wild or Dove, right? Then the product seems expensive. But actually, that's not what people are doing. People are not saying it's wild or dove. They're saying it's wild, just like I spend more on another type of sustainable cleaning product for my kitchen or, you know, a neat refill system, neat the cleaning company. It's a different comparison frame. And therefore, their head is not necessarily in the space that of the traditional pricing in the traditional part of the market, right? Yeah. And that's your job as the to bring them on, on that journey and take them out of this purely price-driven market. And I think that's really hard to do. I don't think Wild would have been successful if we'd launched in um, Sainsbury's on day one. I think um, people would have been like, I don't get this brand. I don't get the value proposition and I'm not paying more for that. And with online, you just have that much more time. You can um, show them some ads and then take them through some content and then you know they'll drop on your website and then they'll go away and then they'll come back in a few weeks and you're, you're kind of taking them on this journey and you're kind of showing them and talking through the benefits. And, and, and as I said, you know, a lot of people are willing to spend 40, 50, 60 pounds on beauty products. So where is that boundary between personal care and beauty and, and fragrances and, and, and how do you push yourself into that playing field instead of into the deodorant playing field? start to kind of com- compare that and, um, and and position that. And and generally, you know, my margins are still far lower on a five pound product because of the money we spend on the ingredients and the packaging versus what Dove spend on a 99p deodorant. So it's sort of, it's not as if it's like a really high margin play. It's just purely, you know, th- th- that quality does cost, cost more to develop. This is exactly what we were talking about on the Hunter and Gather episode. They were saying the same, look, any buyers listening, we're not making huge margin here. We're just proving to the market the rules that big grocery brands, and I include deodorant brands in that, made over the last 40 or 50 years that you have to kind of pile it high and cheap. That's the only way that you could be mass market. They're kind of being overturned that there are large groups of people. People have spent 20 million quid on your products in the last 12 months, right? Yeah, last 18 months, yeah. Last 18 months. Like, that is an enormous amount of people's money that they're spending on your product, right? So quickly. So it proves that it's not just niche. It's not just the very richest people who are going to make choices that they will pay more for products that have ingredients that cost more. Yeah. It's amazing. So you mentioned Sainsbury's there. Let's talk about your move from D to C online into retail because you've got some fabulous kind of almost stores within a store in some of the high street and major malls at the moment. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so we were we were very lucky. Um, you know, I think about just under one year in, um, we were approached by the Future Brands Brands program for Sainsbury's, and they're 
their job is to find interesting brands that can bring value to Sainsbury's that helps them differentiate versus their competitors um, and allows them to offer kind of unique experiences to their to their shoppers. Great team, highly recommend chatting to them for any kind of brands out there. And they've been phenomenally supportive of Wild and, and really bought into it. And they kind of different relationship to buyers where buyers is quite commercial, I found. And for them, it's more, they're just trying to support the kind of up and coming brands that they believe can, you know, help build Sainsbury's proposition and deliver versus their their kind of key goals. So we were approached by them um, and one of our stakes in the ground always, you know, to, to be clear, Wad always planned to be an omni-channel business. So it wasn't like, oh, this, we, we always thought that we would use D2C to build up our brand and learn our customers and improve our products. And then when we were ready, we would try and get into retail. And Sainsbury's approached us a bit earlier than we planned, but it was definitely on the roadmap and something that we were thinking about. But the problem we knew is that, and we said them straight up, look, if we just land this on a shelf and you go, as you say, you go into deodorant market, everything's at one pound and there's this weird thing called wild that no one's really heard of at five pounds when, you know, how are we going to be able to sell this product or bring them? So as we said, look, if you want to make this a success, then we we have to be able to do more and communicate our, our USPs and what our brand kind of stands for, like we've done online, and, and then we can replicate the success together. And they were, you know, they were really supportive of that. Yeah, you need to push everyone. Um, you know, supermarkets don't give anything uh, easily. So you've got to you've got to use um, a lot of those techniques to bring them on that journey and, and kind of understand that clarity. And and so they allowed us, you know, launched in 300 stores and we have these wooden placards that kind of tell you what a natural deodorant is. How many stores do you have those beautiful plinths in where you actually like it's a display unit on their shelf? Yeah, so all 300 stores. God. So again, what I'm so admirative of is your approach to investing to drive sales. So there's a lot of businesses who are going to go, oh God, you know, Sainsbury's offered me 300 stores. I can't afford to do anything special about that. But what you seem to have done is said, what would absolutely excellent execution look like? It would look like this. Therefore, if we're going to go into those 300 stores, let's ask, let's say we can do it and then let's spend the money. I mean, that must have cost you quite a bit. You know, it did cost us a bit, but, it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they've been there now for 12 months. So if you're aggregating that cost over a, a kind of 12 month period, you're talking in maybe less than a, a pound a week to to kind of have a shelf in there. So I think it's just balancing that short term and longer term thinking. And, and, and my sense is like we knew that one of the biggest things we can do is drive visibility and tell our story in store. So that's like where we prioritize a lot of our I kind of spend it wasn't like oh hey we've got loads of money let's just buy these nice plints and it was more like look I think of you know here's gonna let's let's say let's build a sensible advertising budget for the year and let's come up with three or four things that we're going to use to to that we really believe can help turn the turn the dial and this was one of the the top things that we really believed in. Well, it looks amazing. I don't know if the photo is online anywhere. Is it just somebody, one of my clients who's taken a photo and it's now in lots of presentations <laughs> as best practice. But, you know, it looks amazing. Where can people see it in these 300 Sainsbury's? Yeah, so um, I'm just trying to think of the stores. So we're in, if anyone in London, um, we're in the Clapham High Street store, the Nine Elm store. Northwest. Yeah, so... Um, I think those are the kind of core stores off the top of my head. Sure, I know. I'm putting you on the spot. Do you have a store search place on your website? 
Yeah, so you can go onto our website and you've got the Sainsbury's um, store search, so you can go and find them there if, if of interest. Okay, amazing. I know there's going to be one question that's in everyone's minds who's listening to this. How does a brand, I'm not asking Wild, I'm asking you, having done this for so many years now. So you're looking at yesterday's data. How much did I spend yesterday, right, on my online business? And I'm looking at my offline business as well, my retail channel business. How much did I spend yesterday? How much am I going to spend today and tomorrow? Sometimes you won't have that cash flow, right? So you're going to have, I suppose, get funding, get investment and invest ahead of the curve. Yep. You've driven 20 million quid's worth of sales. So you must have had to invest heavily ahead of the curve. And was that scary or is that just par for the course when you've been in HelloFresh and been number five in with, you know, a couple of hundred boxes a month or week even to 100 million quid in sales? I mean, that experience, it just makes so many people so envious because you have, I suppose, overcome that scary precipice feeling of what happens if I jump, you know, in terms of the spending ahead of the curve, right? Yeah, I, I think important to caveat that Wild has raised external money. So we've raised um, two and a half million pounds of external capital. And that capital is there, you know, primarily venture capital exists to to take risk um, for the uh, hope of reward. And so that's definitely, you know, it's not the only way to build a business and, you know, have a huge amount of respect for people who can bootstrap and and and, and build businesses in many different ways. But for us, Again, what was really important because we created this bespoke product is that it, uh, when, you, when you're at subscale, the unit economics don't work. So we had to get to scale as quickly as possible in order to start to make the business um, kind of to start to uh, make sense on a margin perspective and get the economies of scale that we knew would then start to make the, the product and the brand kind of work. So the, there's quite a lot of risk involved in those, in those early times. But on a spreadsheet, you could see what number you needed to get to, I assume that's the way it works, in order to get profitable. Was it the product cost that drove that? Yeah, so so the product cost and then your marketing cost are the two key kind of levers. Um, so we had some clear targets of where we needed to get to on the product cost and then also where we where we felt was acceptable on our marketing cost. And over time, as we build up our business, we try and spend more and more in marketing. So I think in my first year at HelloFresh, I spent £100,000 on marketing. And in my last year, I spent £25 million. £25 million. It's like, you know, you, you, you kind of can see over time, you're just trying to build that up and always look at ways you can invest more and find areas that you can de- deliver that. Um, and as you get more comfortable with, the value of your customers over a longer period of time, certainly in the online perspective, you can afford to be, you know, you're more comfortable with your unit economics and where you're going and you can start to invest best further. And, you know, the other thing for us is we were the first mover. We were the only brand for first 18 months, which was a wonderful position to be in and great. But obviously in, in modern day e-commerce, if you've had a good idea, there'll be plenty of people who realize you've had a good idea and, and want to kind of come and join the market. So, you know, when you're on the front foot and you're creating the category, that's the time you've got to just kind of go for it and really try and build that dominance and kind of build that positioning. And then from there, it becomes, um, you know, much harder to, to come, and, come and take market share. You make it sound so rational and so, you know, logical. And I know it is, but I think there's so much if you haven't spent 25 million in marketing and, you know, 
seen that, yeah, that can work. If we spend this much money, it works so we can up it and then we can up it until we get to 25 million and it's still working more or less. You know, for the rest of us, there's so much emotion involved on top of that rational, logical, yes, it'll work, that it's difficult to get away from that. So, yeah, you're inspiring and also, I suppose, lucky that you've had that experience um, and stood in the precipice and, and jumped and it has worked in the past. So you've got that faith and confidence that you know how to do. It's a skill and it's a craft, right? Isn't it? Marketing spend online and offline and the analysis of the data. And you've mastered that craft over very many years. And now you're able to put that to good use. Yes. I know you have. <laughs> You're just being modest now, but genuinely, more than anyone I've ever spoken to, you know, you've had that experience. When you go through that experience, there's an, there's an incredible amount of knowledge and confidence that gives you in, in how and when to, to um, spend and navigate that. And, and you have a very good instinct for where to, to place your money and at, at different levels of the business. So at, at every different level of scale, it requires a slightly different strategy and a slightly different approach. And the, the challenges are like, they're not any uh, easier. They're just, they're just different kind of challenges. And, you know, when you get up to, let's say you're spending half a million pounds a month on marketing, then, you know, probably digital channels are not going to be the only channels that can kind of do that. They start to saturate and you have to find new ways and new things of, of kind of building it. And then, you know, the other side for me is retail is new. So, I've always done D2C where it's really, really easy, money in, cash out, very, very sales driven, you know, not very brand led in 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 my HelloFresh days, a bit more so in in Wild, but very it's very easy to measure and understand. Now going into retail, it is a bit harder because there's more of a gray box and you know, there's more areas and 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 often those things aren't so in in, in instant. So I'm definitely still learning on on that um, and, and definitely still building on my approach to how we should think about marketing spend to grow our, our retail footprint. Are you using any of the amazing tools out there such as Elm or Proquo AI to manage that? So we, we just, we're using Elm and we have just signed up to Proquo uh, last week. So Yay. hoping that both of those can help us, you know, use that data and kind of make sensible decisions and understand the you know it's just slightly it's slightly less tangible it's slightly less money in money out it's more like okay we're investing this amount of money over time and and the problem as well with retail and dc is it becomes blurred well dc is going really well and has that benefited of course because we did this big big thing but but I, what i do believe in is that ultimately you know building out more and more people seeing the brand more and more people being aware of what you're doing and kind of placing that in people's minds is is really important and you know trying to justify as much spend as you can without kind of bankrupting the company or or taking too much risk is you know we're both founders at wild are marketing led and we're always just looking at ways of like how can we be spending more in a sensible way to like drive the brand but data is key right i mean it really is if anyone listening, actually, because we've mentioned Elm and Proco AI, have a look at both of those sites. It's getelm.co and procoai.com. If you want to get in touch with me on LinkedIn, I've got a deal for any listeners on both of those services, but they're really worthwhile. If your business is already selling D2C and or retail, they are metrics that are really going to help you understand your sales and also how your consumers or your target consumers are thinking and feeling and using your products. Freddie, what's next for Wild? What are the next big 
milestones and steps? So for us, um, as said, deodorant was always meant as a kind of Trojan horse into the bathroom. And we're still really early on our journey. I think since we relaunched, we're, we're still under two years old from that product. So the, the strategy is keep making our core product better. So we're kind of analyzing that all the time and testing things. And again, still very customer centric in how we do that. And then starting to think about what other products can we innovate in the similar way where we remove single use plastic and we make it really easy for customers to kind of switch to more sustainable and natural products. And you should hopefully see something in the next few months if I do my job right coming out. And then some international expansion. So, you know, we want to be a global brand that is, yeah, servicing as many countries as possible. So we're, we're kind of expanding into Europe at the moment and yeah, really excited about that. That's amazing. And have you got country managers coming in for different countries or is it just be account managers for the moment or how will it work? Just kind of account managers at the moment. Again, we do a very light test approach um, where we don't invest a huge amount. We will um, put some capital into, you know, put aside some budget, put it into the market and just see how they react and respond. And then we'll make a judgment call whether we think that's a sensible market with enough demand or whether we think that probably it's not like top of our priority list. So again, we're quite careful with with how we think about that. And we try and, again, use data to inform that decision-making without jumping in too much. So again, the where to play decision is absolutely key. And you're not just being led by some export agency calling you from Singapore and saying, can you send me a couple of pallets? You're actually taking the bull by the horns and deciding which markets you want to go into and then you're testing them. Yeah, exactly. And then also what we want to do is build, you know, I would much prefer to build density in in a couple of core markets than be spread over hundreds of markets where we're not building that. And and what what we're trying to do is replicate what we've managed to do in the UK, which is combine the D2C side of the business with the retail and and get those to complement each other and create that kind of growth curve. Well, Freddie, look, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. I mean, it's a huge wealth of information, a mini masterclass really in D2C. So thank you so much. I can't wait to try my wild deodorant when it arrives. And I know that I will certainly buy it in my local store once it's available. Thanks a million. I really appreciate it. And I'm wishing you and Charlie and the team the very best with your launch into new bathroom category very soon. Thank you very much. And for, for any listeners who are interested in checking us out, you can see us at wearewild.com and also feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn if you've got any questions or things that I can help with. Oh, you might regret saying that. <laughs> yeah, everybody head to We Are Wild. And what's your Instagram handle? At Wild Refill. At Wild Refill. Okay. Listen, thanks a million, Freddie. Thanks again to Strong Roots. Simple real food. 